Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor Show with Josh Nelson, where we get real, we get honest, and we get clear about the financial world and your money. This is Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services. Let the financial fun begin. It's funny, everybody I seem to talk to right now says, how are you guys doing? Are you okay? Because they know what business we're in, that we're in the wealth management and comprehensive financial planning business. And so, of course, we get involved in things like investments and markets and so forth. And recently, if you've been paying attention, and not everybody is, if you're not paying attention, then you've been blissfully ignorant. And I say congratulations to you, because oftentimes getting all anxious about crazy markets doesn't really help anything. But nonetheless, I think most people have noticed in the news that the markets have been relatively volatile recently. And in fact, some markets, depending on which markets you're looking at, are actually in a bear market right now. I say markets because sometimes people just think of the stock market, but there's also lots of different stock markets. And there's the cryptocurrency market, there's the real estate market, there's the bond market. So there's all these different asset classes out there, and they're all trading in different ways at different times. And of course, they're all going to experience downturns from time to time. Now, to give you a little definition, I've been in this business for 22 years right now. So I've been through plenty of really nasty bear markets and plenty of great bull markets. And these are just terms that get thrown around, right? But what they really mean is a bear market is a 20% or more drop in that particular asset class. And I say asset class because it might not just be stocks. It could be in cryptocurrency or something else that you're following, but a 20% or more drop. A correction is a 10% or more drop. And the good news is that corrections happen all the time. Corrections happen about once a year, historically. And the good news is 80% of the time, corrections don't turn into bear markets. But 20% of the time, they do. And I think this market that we're in right now very well may turn into a bear market for the stock market, at least before things turn around. The good news is that bear markets don't last forever. The bad news is bull markets don't last forever either. In fact, what that means is that there are actually cycles that we go through. It should be comforting to know that bear markets don't last forever. That also means that bull markets don't last forever. And I think it's comforting to know that there's never been a bear market in the history of the stock market, at least, that hasn't been followed by a bull market. Recessions happen all the time. And that basically means that the economy is going backwards. And right now, you might feel like we're going backwards, even if we're not. And that's because inflation has been so darn high. And that's why we go through these cycles, because the Fed and the Federal Reserve, in other words, is actually the entity that largely controls the money supply and oftentimes does cause us to go into different cycles, either down cycles or up cycles. And the economy just goes through cycles. The world goes through cycles. That's just part of life. Some of those are good and some of those are bad. But ultimately, those who take advantage and are really adaptable can even take advantage in those down cycles. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm an authority on this because I've been through some really nasty markets again. And I'm a student of markets even before I was a financial advisor. I started out in 1999. And you might remember if you were around back then, or at least a student of history, of economic history, of market history, that in 1999, that was kind of the culmination of the tech boom. In fact, everybody was getting ready for Y2K. I know for those of you who are younger, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But in the late 90s, there was this big, big tech buildup to make sure that all the technology was up to date. Because when the year 2000 rolled around, if the computers weren't 
weren't up to date. It could cause everything to go haywire and uh, companies to go broke and all the nuclear bombs are going to go off. I mean, this is what was being talked about at the time, right? That the world could really go haywire. And of course, nothing really happened. And because nothing really happened and all these individuals had bought new computers, right? Everybody bought a new computer. Uh, Businesses had upgraded all their networks and computers and everything. And so at that point, really, there was a lot of technology spending that had kind of peaked out. And then we had the dot-com crash, the tech crash in 2000. Sometimes we call that the tech wreck. We saw that sector pull way, way back because of all that pent-up spending and the fact that people didn't need to spend so much in technology for a while after that. So after the year 2000, we also had the year 2001, which was going into a recession anyway. But in 2001, of course, we had 9-11, which was tragic, of course, on a national and on a personal level, but also resulted in this going into a bad recession, followed by the year 2002, where things were already bad. And now we have accounting scandals from accounting firms and accounting firms that have been helping cook the books with some of these big companies like Enron and WorldCom. Um, many, many big, big companies were really either being questioned as far as are you really cooking the books or not, or they outright were and went out and went completely bankrupt. We're talking about some of the biggest companies in the world at the time. And of course, the stock market really did not like that because there was some fear, at least for a time, that all these companies, all the Fortune 500 companies are all cooking their books. Maybe the stock market is all this big sham and we've been using fake numbers. What turns out, it wasn't as widespread as it was feared. And so, of course, eventually things kind of burned themselves out and the market ended up coming back. We went into that down cycle. It was an up cycle in the late 90s, and the Fed started raising interest rates to tighten down inflation. It's the Fed's job to keep inflation in check, also to keep the economy going, and also to make sure that we have as full employment as possible. So they're kind of looking at all of those numbers. And of course, they can't control all those things, but they are able to manipulate the money supply and interest rates. And so they are able to give some stimulus, which is what they've been doing big time the last couple of years, is printing trillions of dollars that have been injected into the economy. And now, of course, there's too much money in the economy and it's causing a big inflation problem. And you might remember there was a theory called modern monetary theory being thrown around about this time last year and before that said that basically the Federal Reserve can kind of print as much money as they want to, that we as a nation can kind of use as much money as we want to because we're the global reserve currency and blah, 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 blah. You know, there was this whole theory that there would be no consequences to just spending unlimited money. Of course, now we find that, yes, there are consequences to that. I don't think any of us really believe that to begin with that that was possible, right? To just spend money with no consequences. And now we're seeing the consequences to that, that we're looking at very high inflation. The Federal Reserve now has no choice but to raise interest rates, tighten up the money supply. That's going to cause us to go into a down cycle because of what they're doing. And the stock market is screaming and reacting to that, right? And the cryptocurrency markets and the real estate market are all reacting to that. Interest rates have gone up big time. And if you looked at mortgage rates now, you used to be able to get a mortgage not that long ago, down in the twos. Now you're looking up in the fives and maybe beyond by the time this is over. So the whole point of all of this is that we go through these different markets and the Federal Reserve has a big role in that, but these things don't last forever. Expansions don't last forever, neither do recessions. Again, bulls and bears, neither of them last forever. And there are things that you can do in these different markets that actually will help you out or could hurt you if you do the opposite. 
So a few different strategies I'm going to throw out because I've been having a lot of these conversations with clients, of course, this spring. And I will tell you, by the way, that, and maybe it's just that we have clients that are pretty resilient and have been through enough bad markets that they know that these things just happen. But our phone is not ringing a whole lot right now other than we do get an awful lot of calls from people who aren't working with us yet. And I tell you that just because these oftentimes are our biggest times as far as bringing new clients on board, because there's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people are questioning what they're doing. In other words, if they were trying to do it themselves, or maybe they were working with an advisor then. They're kind of questioning what their strategies and value proposition are through that downturn. A lot of times we do end up bringing on a lot of clients during those times. So that's just kind of an aside that our phone is ringing right now. But unless it's uh, clients that just need stuff, uh, otherwise, a lot of it is just people contacting us and saying, hey, can we meet? Because we really think we want to make a change and take a look at working with you guys. So that being said, a few different strategies that I want to throw out because this is really helpful and uh not only because I say so, but also because we've used it. Really, we have experience going through all kinds of different markets. And not that we can guarantee anything. Nobody can guarantee anything in this world, nor can we as financial planners guarantee returns, guarantee anything that's going to happen or not happen with the stock market or the economy. But experience does tell us quite a bit. And we can tell you what has worked for other people most of the time. So one of those things is, I think, you want to really go back. And if you haven't done this already, now is definitely the time to go back and know your risk. Know the risk number that you're comfortable with. What I mean by that is that we have a risk number that every single client has that's chosen by them. And that's what we're targeting as far as the level of risk that we can take for that particular client in their portfolio. And of course, a lot goes into that as far as figuring out well, what investments and funds and so forth would result at that number. But ultimately, understanding what you're going to be comfortable with and what you're not going to be comfortable with. We actually have a free risk assessment on our website. And don't worry, we're not going to spam you and uh, send you a bunch of stuff. You can actually find out your risk number right now by going to keystonefinancial.com and go down about two-thirds down the page, and it says, uh, find out your number. And you can go in and in just a few minutes actually answer some questions that will help pinpoint what your risk number is. So you can compare that then against your current portfolio. We can help you with that as far as taking a look at where am I right now and how much risk am I actually taking. See, when you're in a bull market, when the economy is doing great, nobody really cares about risk. And they should, of course, but a lot of people don't really care about risk because everybody's just making money. And it's kind of like throwing darts at the dartboard. You could kind of make money on anything when things are going really, really well. And that was what it was like in the late 90s. And I think last year in 2021, very much like that, where just everything was going up, it was very easy to make money, regardless of the level of risk that you were taking. So it's very important to go back and know your risk, know what you're comfortable with, and then find out how much risk is actually in your portfolio right now. Our risk assessment actually will assign a number and that will tell you on a speed limit sign, that's actually what it looks like from one to 99, what your risk number is. Now, just to give you an idea, if you were a one, that means that your money is pretty much all sitting in the bank or a credit union account right now, where it's probably not earning any interest, uh, but it's just sitting there. It's quote unquote safe. And I say quote unquote, simply because it may be safe from a principal standpoint, 
But think of it from a purchasing power standpoint. If we have inflation running at 8, 9, 10%, depending on whose numbers you believe right now, that means that if you're sitting in cash that's earning zero, that means you're actually going backwards 8, 9, 10%. Even though we've seen interest rates come up a little bit, you might have noticed that your bank probably has not increased the interest rate on your savings account, your checking account. Why is that? Because they want to make money, right? And so they want to leave interest rates as low as they can for as long as they can uh, before they have to start raising interest rates and what they're paying for their depositors. So just keep in mind that that cash rate may not change a whole lot. So in the end, it's very, very important to understand risk. We spend a lot of time talking with clients about risk, the risk in their portfolio. And then of course, be willing to adapt. That's a really, really important part about getting through tough markets is your adaptability. And you might have heard of IQ, your intelligence quotient, and EQ, that's your emotional quotient. But we like adaptability quotient, actually the AQ, adaptability quotient we think is crucial not only to get through turbulent markets, but to get through turbulent life. Really, when you think about life, there's all kinds of curveballs. For anybody who's lived any length of time, you know that there's all kinds of great stuff that happens, but there's also a lot of crappy stuff that happens too in people's lives, things that they didn't want. Maybe it's not even just in your personal life, but things that are happening in the world or the economy or in politics, whatever that might be. It wouldn't take very long for us to start a conversation and think of all the bad things that happen in the world, but the people that end up being the happiest, I think, and end up being the most successful are the ones that are the most adaptable. So keep that in mind is be willing to adapt, be willing to change. In other words, what you've been doing in the past. A lot of times it's very, very easy just to default in life and in business and in finance and just kind of let things go like they've been going. And sometimes that works, right? Sometimes it works just to kind of keep going on and letting things continue to just default. It's very easy to not make a change, in other words, but be willing to adapt, especially because the economy around you right now and the markets are adapting, whether you're adapting or not. And so if you're not making changes right now, or at least assessing where you are to reaffirm that you're in the right spot, know that you could be actually in a bad spot. In other words, you could actually end up being in a very risky situation where you didn't even think you were. Okay. Strategy number two is to go back. And if you haven't done this before, it's important to do it now is to recognize that asset allocation and diversification are your friends because they're your friends, let them help you. And it's it's kind of like when you were, say, in college or college age or young, you probably had every time you moved, you kind of get everybody together, right? All your friends, and they bring the pickups and you give them pizza and donuts and beer, whatever you did to bribe them to show up. But bottom line is you probably got free help, right? To help you move because you were poor, right? You didn't have any money, so you couldn't afford a mover. So the nice thing about investing is that there are a couple of friends that will always help you if you choose to let them help you. And that would be asset allocation and diversification. Let's define what those are. Number one, asset allocation means that asset classes, meaning big asset classes like stocks, bonds, real estate, alternative investments, private equity, there's all kinds of different categories of investments. And you deciding how much am I going to put, think of a pie chart, how much am I going to put in these different pieces of the pie in my portfolio? You might go back if you haven't listened to it already and go back and listen to the episode that we titled the most important investment decision. And that is your asset allocation, choosing what 
that pie chart looks like. In other words, if you had a pie chart that is just cash earning zero, that means that you're back to that number one risk score. That means that your experience is going to be very different. It might help you sleep at night in the short term, but your experience over the long run is going to be very different than the person who had a higher risk score and allocated more of their money to growth assets, things that could outpace inflation. I say could because we can't guarantee anything, but stocks, real estate, commodities, things like that actually can do very well in an inflationary environment. But given enough time, that's the important part is staying diversified. That's the second part of it is even within those asset classes, you don't want to just buy one stock and one piece of real estate and one bond and one whatever, right? As far as your portfolio, you want to be very, very diversified within each one of those pieces of the pie. Because the name of the game here is that we want to make sure that we're building up wealth over time. And that wealth is being created to generate income at some point for you, for your family, for whoever it is that you're investing for. In other words, at some point, somebody's going to want income. And that probably is you. That's probably at retirement that you're going to want income off of your portfolio. So the name of the game is to build up wealth and hopefully build it up abundantly, right? So you have lots and lots of choices and flexibility someday when you retire and need that income. So using asset allocation and diversification because they are your friends, let them help you and recognize that they're free. Believe it or not, this is one of the few things that you actually get free in life. And that's asset allocation and diversification cost you nothing. Now, I'm not talking about investment expenses. Of course, your investments are going to cost something. If you're paying an investment advisor like Keystone Financial Services, yes, you're paying us something. But asset allocation and diversification, those components, those principles, implementing those things actually costs you nothing. So use those, make sure that you're letting them help you out because along the way, that's one of the keys to making sure that not only you're getting what you expect over time, but also making sure that you've got the highest probability of being successful in your financial plan. Number three is rebalancing. And again, this is free. We like to have free stuff, right? Whenever we have the ability to, if there's value, right, it's good to have free stuff. Now, if it's unvaluable stuff, then free stuff doesn't help you at all. But rebalancing is very helpful. And lots of studies actually will show you that once you choose your asset allocation and your diversification, it's important to rebalance periodically. And that's one of the things about being an investment advisor is that you're paying us to have the discipline to do that for you. Sometimes rebalancing doesn't feel good, by the way. And what I mean by that is let's use an ultra simple example. Let's say that somebody decided I want a balanced portfolio. So I'm going to put 60% of my money in stocks of various types, and then I'm going to put 40% of my money in bonds of various types. So that 60-40 mix gets invested and you spread it out. It's diversified, beautiful, right? So time goes on and let's say that you go into a bear market. Now, all of a sudden, your 60-40 allocation might look like 50-50, where now half of your money's in stocks, half of it's in bonds. So a dis disciplined investment advisor or individual, if you're doing this on your own, would say, okay, I'm going to rebalance. I'm going to go back to my 60-40 mix because that was the strategy that I had chosen. That was the most important investment decision that I had chosen was that 60-40 allocation. So I need to get back to that. And so what we're going to be doing, of course, is we're going to be selling some bonds and buying some stocks. Now, at the time, I say this might not feel good because you're probably doing it when the stock market's way, way down and nobody's making any money. In fact, every day you might be seeing people lose money and your portfolio going down. So that can be a hard pill to swallow. But over time, studies show that that can actually result in not only higher returns, but it also can result in you having a little bit lower of risk because it works on the opposite end as well. In fact, it could be a lot of risk that you're avoiding. Let's say that portfolio, you go into a bull market and you don't rebound 
balance. Now that 60-40 portfolio might look like 80-20. Now your risk is very high because 80% of your money is in stocks, 20% of it's in bonds. Now we need to rebalance back to that 60-40 so you don't get your risk number up too high. It's also important to make sure that you don't allocate too much to one sector or even to one security. You having too much money in your own company's stock. We see this from time to time with clients that have a lot of restricted stock and options and all kinds of stuff that they're getting for their company, which is great, right? Especially if you're with a startup, that might be a massive amount of value that you end up getting out of that company. But it's important to rebalance and take that money off the table or it could be too much risk for you. So rebalancing means having the discipline to putting ourselves back into the pie chart that we chose originally, being thoughtful about that. That's just prudent investing to rebalance. Finally, I want to talk about dollar cost averaging. And that's probably the question I'm getting most right now is timing. And people are wondering, gosh, when's the market going to bottom out? Is it a good time to invest? Is it a good time to take money out? Because I think I'm going to need money for a car in three months. That sort of thing. If you're smart and you really have spent enough time at this, you know that you're not going to be able to time the market consistently. In fact, Warren Buffett, who has been one of the most successful investors of all time, is in his 90s. I think he's 91 now, has said repeatedly over the years that he doesn't know anybody in his entire life, his entire career as an investor that can consistently time the market, nor have I and nor have you, if you're honest, right? We know that market timing doesn't work. It's very tempting, of course, because we think we can kind of outguess the system, but we just can't. It's one of those things that we're not going to be able to do consistently. So not even trying to do that. Don't be the day trader. Don't be the person that sticks their neck out there and tries to take on a ton of risk, putting way too much money into one area, for example, trying to catch a magic price. Now, do people get lucky? Yeah, absolutely. People get lucky and buy at certain prices, but they can't do that consistently. Nobody can. So the whole point here is using dollar cost averaging as your friend. So what I'm talking about here is instead of choosing one day to take money out of your investments or one day to put money into your investments, why not do it over time? Because that kind of averages out the pain or the victory, right? If things are going up, it kind of averages out those prices and it takes the guesswork out of you having to choose a certain day that it's the right time to invest or take money out. Here's how that works. If you think about if you're with an employer, you're probably already doing this right now because they probably have some kind of a company retirement plan like a 401k. So when you take money out of your paycheck, each pay period, and that goes into your 401k, into your investments, you're already dollar cost averaging. That money is just averaging in each paycheck, probably a couple times a month that's going into the market. And the same thing happens when you're investing on your own. You can set it up automatically. See, if you use a custodian like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or any financial institution that we might use, we can set that up where it just automatically goes in each month. So you're not having to worry about that as far as the actual timing. So for people who are wanting to invest, I think that's always a good thing to think about, right? Is dollar cost average instead of trying to outguess the market and just choose one day to be the magic day. So as far as how much you should be putting money away, we like 15 to 20% of your income going away for the future. And everybody's situation is different. So we like math. We like to be very specific and work on your individual plan. For a lot of people, that does mostly go into retirement funds, right? Something that you're going to be drawing income off of someday that also could be going to college expenses, something else. But 15 to 20% of your money going away for the future, that means you get to uh, enjoy the rest, right? Or give it away if you're giving away to charity or something like that. But just be aware of that principle that we want to start out with that 15 to 20% is a good rule of thumb. 
Now, some people say, I can't do that, especially if you're starting out, you're poor as you know, most of us were, right? When we were starting out, we don't think we can afford it. But let's say if the IRS contacted you and they said, you know what, some legislation passed and we have to raise your taxes by 15 or maybe 20%, you and I would do it as well. We would scream and shout and lose sleep and ah, you know, this is terrible and call my senator and whatever we want to do, right, to complain about it. But in the end, we'd pay it, right? You'd pay it. You'd pay your taxes because otherwise you go to jail. Uh, so we would pay it. We wouldn't like it, but we'd pay it anyway. Treat this kind of like your own personal tax, but you get to keep the money. In other words, it goes into your own investments. That 15 to 20% needs to go away for your future if you want to have a future income that you don't have to work for. It also works when you're taking money out, say in retirement, your dollar cost averaging out. Say if we're taking money out each month, make sure that you're not taking out more than 4 to 5% of your investment assets. What I mean by that is that if you take your t entire investment assets, so let's keep the math easy and say you've got a million bucks, that means we can take out forty to fifty thousand dollars per year to be able to live off of. Now, if that million dollars goes down to eight hundred thousand or a half million, does that mean you take four to five percent off of a million or off of eight hundred thousand or five hundred thousand? If I were you, I would adjust. And the reason why is because you will weather this, and I've seen this with time and time again with clients over the years, that you will weather the storm much better and do far less damage if you're adjusting your withdrawal percentage based off of your investment assets, even when they go down. Now, that means it works on the upside too. And we've seen that the last couple of years is that people have had their portfolios go up in general, right? In 2020, 2021, uh, we saw a lot of increases that people had in their investments. And so people got to take out more because that percentage was a percentage of a larger dollar amount. So again, be willing to adapt, have that adaptability quotient and don't get so set in your ways that you're not willing to adapt to current conditions. That I think is the bottom line that I can leave you with is your adaptability quotient will serve you well. Just Make sure that you're watching not only the markets, but also watch investment principles, things that are time tested. A lot of times we get sucked into the day to day social media, the news and so forth. And of course, all of that is going to be pointing to right now and saying, you got to do something right now and pay attention. But the reality is most of these principles are things that play out over time. And they're things that we actually have control over, as opposed to most of the stuff we see in the news and social media, all that stuff. We really don't have a lot of control over the more we pay attention to that stuff, by the way, lots of studies have shown this. And I can tell you from personal example, when I watch the news too much, when I pay attention to the markets too much, it just creates anxiety and really doesn't add value to anybody. So with that, I will leave you with that as the foundational principle of what we do at Keystone Financial Services and the Wiser Financial Advisor. We do want to be adaptable. We want to use principles that are time tested and be willing to adapt as conditions change. I hope that was helpful for you today. Please make sure if you are enjoying the Wiser Financial Advisor, make sure that you click on subscribe on your favorite podcast service, whether that's Spotify or Google or Apple, wherever you're listening to this and click subscribe. That helps us out a ton. Also give us a rating that helps out as well. And of course, from an individual standpoint, if you could please pass this on to anybody that you have in your life that you think this would be helpful for, we know there's a lot of anxiety out there right now. We want to be the antidote to that. So help them 
by passing on these episodes, have them subscribe as well. They don't need to be clients and that's fine. We're just here as a resource. We want to help people. And ultimately, if you think that we would be a good fit for you and we can help you in any way, we want to serve you the best that we can. Even if we're not the right fit, we'll definitely point you in the right direction and give you some ideas that will help with your own personal life. I hope that's helpful. Have a wonderful week. And God bless. This episode has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and accounting advisors. Investment advisory services offered through Keystone Financial Services and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.